welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Namaste and greetings. I, dear Goswami, researcher at IMPRI, Impact and Policy Research Institute, Prabhav Evam Niti Anusandhan Sanstha, Nai Dilli, extend my warmest welcome to you all to IMPRI hashtag web policy talk. Today we have gathered for the panel discussion on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, Sixth Assessment Report, Implications for urbanization as part of the series local governance with shri tikendra singh panwar this event is organized by impri center for habitat urban and regional studies impri impact and policy research institute new delhi now i'll take this moment to introduce our gathering to you as the moderator of today's session we have with us shri tikendra singh panwar He is the former deputy mayor of Shimla and a visiting senior fellow at IMPRI, New Delhi. We welcome you, sir. Moving to our esteemed panelists for today, we have with us Professor Anil K. Gupta, Professor of Policy Planning and Strategies at Disaster Risk Reduction and Sustainability. Sir is the head of the division, coordinator of international cooperation, advisory services, and the program director at the center for excellence on climate resilience national institute of disaster management ministry of home affairs government of india we are honored to have you sir welcome to the session we are delighted to have with us dr d raghunandan from the delhi science forum and all india people's science network we welcome you sir thank you we also have with us dr simi mehta CEO and editorial director at Impri as the co-moderator of the session we welcome you ma'am now i invite our moderator shri tikender singh panwar to initiate the discussion with his opening remarks and proceed with the event we look forward to learning from our esteemed panelists thank you thank you dia and uh, thanks for that lovely introduction of all our guests panelists and uh, right at the inception let me welcome uh, professor gupta professor raghunandan and uh, it's indeed a pleasure for us uh, this uh, web series that we run that we've been running since long called hashtag local governance uh, to have uh, both our our guests here and as you know today's topic is quite interesting though uh, quite uh, 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 quite difficult to understand that's what arjun pointed out uh, in in a very informal chat that you know everyone doesn't understand uh, what the ipcca uh, is and uh, you know what is this report because this report is a huge huge voluminous work that uh, goes into some 3700 pages that includes the citations of uh, the works uh, of different scientists uh so how do but but we all feel the impact of uh, of uh, of the 
climate change. And uh, we do not really have to be experts into uh, you know, how this is happening, but yeah, I think the impact is quite visible, quite vivid. Now, the point is uh, this, uh, this sixth uh, report, and this is the working group two that has come out uh, with, with, uh, with this uh, study. Uh, it was released in the last week of February. And uh, uh, why is it that hashtag local governance is, is interested into having a discussion on this report? I think there are a few reasons for that. And before I jump and ask the Raghunandan uh, to explain uh, about those reasons, I think for the first time, probably there's uh, uh, an extensive uh, work done by the scientists on uh, on the cities. And in fact, the chapter on cities is uh, running into almost 183 to 200 pages. Uh, that speaks about the extreme vulnerability of the cities and uh, you know uh, about the mitigation and adaptation uh, challenges that cities face across the globe, including the coastal cities, in fact, which are the most vulnerable, and not to miss the cities in the mountains. And uh, quite specifically, they pointed out the Hindu Kush uh, range, which is more vulnerable. The second aspect is, uh, I think, what, which is very interesting, probably uh, Dr. Raghunandan will deal with that, is you know that uh, uh, this report also uh, deals about uh, about some systemic changes. I mean, for, uh, for the first time, probably uh, I have come across a term and where the report quite uh, vividly uh, points out that it's a systemic problem. And it's quite uh, uh, unsustainable. The kind of system we are living in is quite unsustainable. So if this is the unsustainable form of uh, development that it talks about, then what should be the sustainable form of development? I think it, 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 it suggests some of the ways. I think that is also an area which uh, we need to, uh, uh, to dwell upon. And the third part is that it's, it speaks about the interplay of many forces in between. It's not just uh, uh, the technocentric solutions that we've been talking about. It speaks about inequity, it speaks about sustainability, it speaks about many other things. Uh, so I think with those uh, opening remarks, uh, it would be uh, prudent for, uh, on my part, and then uh, Dr. Simi is there, I think later maybe when he introduces Professor Gupta, I mean, she can add, uh, if he wants to add later, uh, it is better that uh, Dr. Deeragunandan takes the uh, take, takes the discussion ahead, yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Dr. Tikender, and uh, good evening to all our uh, viewers. Uh, I think I have my screen shared uh, because I have a small presentation I'd like to share uh, with our viewers uh, today. And here we are. Yeah, so that's it. Uh, so I'll uh, quickly go through this and won't take too much time. My Whatever I've written will be on the screen. So I may not uh, spend much time detailing out each of the points because you would have seen it. I'll highlight the major features. I think uh, Tikender's introduction has given me a very good uh, entry point to this uh, report. Uh, so let me start by saying that when I read this report, 
uh, it actually reads very differently from earlier working group two reports of the IPCC. And this is the sixth in the series. Uh, it reads differently because I think if you read the earlier reports, they are in the format of, here are the impacts. This is what happens. Agriculture, crop production will decrease so much. Sea level, it will rise so much. And if these impacts are there, this kind of solution could be uh, followed with some discussion on implications. Uh, this report reads very differently because it does not give you this problem solution and problem solution kind of approach. It is a multidimensional framework. It adopts an interdisciplinary approach uh, to the issue and talks about risks and solutions. Risks along uh, across the physical science of what's happening with the climate and with attempts to reduce the impacts to, through mitigation. And then talks about ecosystem as well as societal impacts. That is, you'll have an impact both on the ecosystem and on uh, society, on human uh, communities. And therefore, solutions which uh, cut across adaptation or resilience, which means the ability to be able to deal with these uh, problems and to build resistance to them, along with developmental uh, pathways and transformative mechanisms. So problems are looked at not as unidimensional problems and solutions are not looked at as unidimensional uh, solutions. So this is a complex uh, approach. It also means that a reader has to have either great expertise or uh, an open-minded and patient approach to go through the various dimensions of the problem and their uh, solutions. Uh, so uh, in overall terms, what the report tells us is that the magnitude uh, of the impacts and its, uh, one second, there's something in my way, yeah. Uh, yeah, the magnitude of the impacts and the risks which have been observed show that a very high scale of response is required in order to build climate resilience. So we have heard through the various reports as well as between the fifth and the sixth assessment report, we have had three special reports from the IPCC. One on the global target of 1.5 degrees, one on impacts on the earth system, on the terrestrial system, and one on the impacts on the permafrost and the, uh, the cold system uh, of our country, and one on sea level uh, rise along with this. So those impacts have been well documented earlier, but what therefore this report summarizes is that the risks are more severe and are appearing sooner than was expected in the fifth uh, assessment report. And also, and importantly, 
AR6 says that these impacts will, what it calls, cascade through the ecosystem. That means if I have an impact on uh, the city, it will have an impact on the energy supply system. It will have an impact on health. It will have an impact on human welfare. So the effects of the impact cascade through both the ecosystem and the uh, human system uh, on this. So these cascading effects are very important to understand. And secondly, that solutions must be compatible with sustainable development, with social justice, as well as with climate justice. So therefore, we are looking at solutions which are not, as I said, unidimensional. Sea level is rising, how do I control sea level rise? Or how do I stop the sea from hitting me in my face? But it must also address maximum co-benefits across sectors. So if I'm tackling sea level change, I also want to tackle impact on the lives of fishermen. I want to address saltwater inundation into freshwater systems and the impact that will have on human health, etc. So I want benefits across uh, sectors, which will build in social justice and climate justice, addressing different sections of the uh, population and address their relative vulnerabilities to these uh, problems. Importantly, the assessment report also says that opportunities for adaptation may decline if we allow temperature rise to cross 1.5 degree uh, Celsius. After that, chances of adaptation may get low and we may have no option except to say, the only way to control the situation now is to achieve the mitigation targets of keeping within 1.5. If it goes beyond 1.5, essentially it goes out of your control to be able to stop the impacts. So that's a very important finding in the uh, sixth assessment uh, report. So uh, let me talk about some of the major findings and ground the findings not so much in the discussions in the report itself, but in the context of India and what we know in terms of the impacts on India. And I think that will give us a better uh, appreciation of this. And I will take three examples from India to address uh, these issues. Firstly, some major findings or perspectives in the report, which I've put inside quotes, are firstly that current dominant models of energy intensive and market-led urbanization, they build very high carbon dependency and high vulnerability into cities. Our cities, especially in India, are very few of them are planned cities. Chandigarh was a planned city that was a long time ago by Le Corbusier. Delhi has pretensions to be a planned city. It has a master plan, but most of it, once you've got a plan on paper, the master plan on paper, then changes are made in a very ad hoc sort of uh, manner. Most other cities don't have master plans of this uh, nature, nor are they followed uh, in practice. Our cities are energy intensive and they are essentially cities built around market-driven concept of real estate. 
you find a piece of land you build something on it and make a building you don't think about various other impacts on climate on carbon uh, etc so there's a very high carbon lock in in our system and they are designed in such a way that you require a lot of energy to run them and because of this also and because of differential socio economic status each of our major cities in delhi in in india have close to half their population are poor are migrant live in slum uh, colonies and therefore have very high vulnerability to climate change so as that's the report also says and it keeps repeating this again that the most rapid growth in urban vulnerability and exposure has been in unplanned and informal settlements slums jugi jhopdis etc especially in low and middle income nations like us as well as in small and medium urban centers it also says that unplanned rapid urbanization including peri urban development that means urban sprawl all big cities in india are like that you have mumbai and then you have you keep extending the suburbs uh, outside in chennai you have chennai and then it extends uh, uh, all the way up to kanjivaram and 60 to 70 kilometers radius you have delhi expanding into the ncr where you have urban sprawl unplanned settlements coming up here and there uh, and that's another major driver uh, of risk because these peri urban settlements are expanding into land which uh, has very different uh, land use originally it could be forest land it could be uh, coastal land it could be agricultural uh, land or it could be hill lands very prone to landslides uh, etc and unfortunately most interventions that we think about are hard engineering uh, solutions and tikender said there was a warning to this and we'll see some examples uh, as we go so let me come quickly to Uh, the three major examples that i'd like to uh, touch on the first is on extreme rainfall events we have all all seen in india now it has become almost annual regular that there is heavy urban flooding we have seen it in mumbai uh, we have seen it in chennai hyderabad in delhi gurgaon not to mention the hills which i'll come to later they have seen severe urban flooding and major reasons for this are that our drainage is highly under capacity they were designed and built probably 80 90 years uh, ago not been updated since they are not able to take heavy rainfall in delhi for example of up to 100 uh, uh, centimeters but now we are getting these extreme rainfall events which are 300 millimeters plus uh, in a day same in mumbai in thane last year we saw 500 mm in one day which is normally one month's quota so the drainage is not able to take it water comes out is on the roads the drains that take this water out the river mithi in mumbai the rivers adiyar or kuam in chennai these are all blocked by construction malba garbage etc so there is nowhere for the water to go except to come back into the Uh, city all the lakes in bangalore 
number of lakes have died down plus again construction has blocked all the lakes in the hills we have seen the notorious floods of 2013 uh, and when when kedarnath was uh, destroyed the whole hill town virtually went disappeared several uh, hill towns and pockets in that if, for example shrinagar were washed away because they had built right up to the river nobody had allowed this nobody had sanctioned it nobody permitted it but you had settlements right on the river bank so as soon as the river flooded those settlements are also uh, wiped out and in these areas in the hills and these are specifically quoted in the uh, ipcc report you have unregulated road construction unplanned settlements in the hills in this very fragile ecosystem of the himalayas extreme rainfall and very bad planning uh, to go in so risks are higher and they cut across sectors they affect housing and habitat they affect roads they affect infrastructure they affect sewage they affect public health and cause huge loss and damage which we saw even uh, in earlier this year in the floods which washed away hydroelectric uh, projects in the tapovan uh, area with all these attendant uh, problems two factors should be noted change in older cities like delhi mumbai etc will be costly of course but the longer we delay the even more costly it is going to get and in newer settlements also the longer we delay the higher the cost and of course if we anticipate what we are going to do we can reduce costs but if we do achieve resilience we can improve the quality of life we can reduce future costs we can improve health we can reduce inequality and vulnerability between different sections of the population i'll quickly talk about sea level rise the maps on the right you will see here shows very vulnerable coastal cities in mumbai uh you can see this map here how much of mumbai is under threat of sea level rise you can see marked in red surat uh, on top puri in odisha kochi and other cities in kerala chennai uh, which we see regularly there has been a recent uh, mapping being done showing very high resolution images this is the sundarbans area that you can see right on Uh, top, which almost the entire deltaic region being wiped out by sea level rise uh, there, and here is some modeling projection projections you can see. On the left, you can see the gateway of India half submerged. If temperature rise cross is reaches two degrees Celsius, we are one point something today, one point two, and the picture on the right shows the gateway of India if. at the end of this century if temperature rise crosses 4 degrees uh, celsius the entire gateway is virtually submerged the entire sea front over here is uh, gone which shows you the extent to which the threat exists and this is what is happening here you can imagine a 2 meter rise inside of bombay will virtually wipe out the whole of south bombay which will come under uh, water uh the third example i'll give you is of what is called the urban heat island effect that is where temperatures outside the city 
uh, uh, temperatures inside the city could be 1.5 to 2 degrees Celsius higher than the average for the country or outside the city. In Bangalore, for example, in the uh, new airport, it is found that temperature inside the city at the heart of the city is 1.9 degrees Celsius higher than at the new uh, airport. So urban expansion, the amount of heat we generate through air conditioners, you can see in the top uh, pictures, congestion, concretization uh, of the system, the number of vehicles on the road all contribute to uh, a heat island, trapping of the heat inside the system, along with reduced green spaces, reduced water bodies, of course, increased ACUs, et cetera, et cetera. And integrated approach of which we are talking uh, with housing with insulation, green housing, you can call it, energy efficiency of uh, ACs, uh, et cetera. More urban commons, which are accessible to the entire population, not just for the rich uh, and others. These will promote resilience. They will reduce greenhouse gas emissions, address your local heat problems, as well as address climate change. They will reduce the urban heat island and heat stress and promote equitable uh, well-being. Air pollution, finally, last example, we all know about it, familiar with it. Uh, major sources are vehicles, road dust, industries, and cooking. These are known out of which predominantly vehicles and road dust are the main contributors in most cities. Most cities in India are actually doing nothing about it so far. In fact, out of all the state capitals that we have, not more than nine or 10 even have public transport. If you don't have public transport, you're going to have a huge number of personal vehicles on the road. In Delhi today, with a population of 20 million, we have 13 million personal vehicles uh, on the road. That's almost one per uh, family. Uh, what is Delhi doing, which is perhaps the most ahead in terms of trying to tackle air pollution? There are some piecemeal measures uh, regarding cars. Delhi, of course, is fortunate in having the metro, which has taken about a few hundred thousand cars off the road, at least uh, till now. Uh, Delhi is trying to introduce e-buses. We already have CNG buses, less polluting than petrol, but still not zero pollution. Electric will go a long way. Very few regulations on construction, which is the major uh, source of pollution. We are getting a regional rapid transport system connecting the suburbs to uh, Delhi. <coughs> and we've got this hopeless thing called a smog gun which has been introduced by the Delhi government under pressure from the Supreme Court. I don't know where the Supreme Court got the expertise to recommend a smog gun and force the Delhi government virtually to implement that, as well as the IIT to implement this. It will do nothing at all. Uh, in fact, recent readings in Delhi have shown that the effects of this small gun, a smog gun are within uh, a meter of where the smog gun is related. After that, it starts dropping off very uh, rapidly. So it's not going to do anything. But if an integrated approach is adopted, then a major effort on public transport 
will address equity a lot. Poorer people can be able to travel uh, more. If it's linked with urban planning, it will reduce the distance that people need to travel. It will address air pollution and health as well as climate uh, change. I think these are the directions in which thinking is required and we need to address. And lastly, as I will say, India has now focused almost exclusively on mitigation. And most of that is to satisfy the developed countries. And we have a sort of tacit understanding. We won't put too much pressure on you if you don't put too much pressure on us to reduce uh, emissions. But island states, least developed countries, they see climate change as having an existential threat on them. That is, we cease to exist. Uh, and have therefore demanded deep cuts by developed countries. AR6 report, this one shows that India is among the worst affected countries. There's one map with color coding where India and a few other countries are shown in red as the most affected countries in the world. And therefore, it is equally in India's interest like it is in that of the island nations or the LDCs that it must increasingly push for more deep emission reduction actions by the developed countries. India is already contributing to that uh, effort. And India badly needs a national action plan on adaptation. We have not even scratched the surface uh, yet. There's no plan, there's no thinking, there's nothing that we have done. Even though impacts on agriculture, impacts on, we've only talked about urban areas, but impacts are visible across uh, economy and uh, society. But this will need joint formulation by all stakeholders so that everybody's interests are looked after and a very effective executive body to oversee implementations. We are very good in India at making plans and laws and hopeless at implementing them uh, on the ground. Two points should be noted. Many, if not most, adaptation actions fall within the jurisdiction of the states. Land is a state subject, urban bodies are come under states, agriculture is a state subject. So it could be convenient for the union government to say, this is not my problem, let the states look after it, let the states spend money. It's not going to happen. States don't have the money and they don't have the capabilities either. And I'm sure Professor Gupta can touch on that. He would have seen this in disaster resilience as well. Therefore, it needs national effort and separate and as well as substantial financial commitments to be able to tackle these myriad problems. I'll stop there. Thank you very much and invite you to visit our website. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, well, that was uh, that was really wonderful, uh, And you know, I didn't imagine that uh, you'll cover cities so well because you know, I thought you'd be covering the larger picture. But I'm so glad that you brought focus uh, back to the cities. Simi, would you like to take it from from here? I would like to invite uh, Professor Anil Gupta for his uh, over to you.
Thank you. Uh, Dr. Simi, I was, uh, you are listening to Professor Raghunandan and uh, he has brought a very good summary and also tried to exploit with uh, the other layers of challenges that uh, are of very serious nature because of the impact of climate change. Uh, so uh, a few points from my side. Uh, the very first thing that uh, for me, the focus, uh, a significant focus on cities in the sixth assessment report is not a great surprise. Uh, why I say so? Uh, because now and very soon, the world means cities. We are urbanizing so fast that uh, I, I was in fact today in, in the field visit and uh, uh, observing so many other aspects of landscape here in the southern part of the country. And uh, what is my uh, uh, thought that in future, uh, if the pace and the trend of growth continues like this, uh, the landscape ecology or the landscape geography that we talk about, our landscape planning that we talk about, would be certainly limited to or synonym to city landscape. Because we are not going to have natural rivers. We are not going to have natural hills. This is, this is uh, a great fear, or you can consider is my uh, the conviction. Uh, and uh, why this conviction is becoming stronger day by day? Because most of the talks, most of the emphasis of our concerns on resilience is concentrating around large cities and metropolitan cities. There is really very less coverage on actually what is happening in smaller cities, because those uh, towns and cities, uh, we can say tier three, tier four, these kind of uh, municipalities. Uh, there is no, uh, no focus, no one talks about this, but they are in fact the greater contributor to urban challenges, uh, uh, not only in India, but the, the entire uh, South Asia or even many, many other countries of Asia Pacific also. So that is very important thing. And uh, uh, when this uh, report has brought a specific focus, I think uh, to some extent, uh, we all uh, are happy that uh, this uh, focus has been brought by IPCC. But again, as uh, Tikandarji was also referring, that IPCC reports of uh, thousands of pages, uh, how do we really uh, be able to transform the insights that are generated through uh, these uh, reports in bringing the ground change. That is the major issue. In fact, uh, in, in the month of uh, uh, August 2021, uh, we organized an international discourse uh, on localizing climate resilience agenda. And the focus was basically that whatever we are discussing at high end levels, uh, international level, national level, how do we re really see that uh, to what extent we can bring the ground change. So that is that is important issue. And when we talk about bringing the ground change, looking into uh, these uh, lessons, which are the inferences that are drawn by IPCC 
working groups and the group of authors. I think there are not one or two layer of changes. There are multiple layer of changes that we will need to look at. Climate change, most of the time, our reference is about the extreme events. Yes, extreme events are certainly increasing in terms of frequency, in terms of aberrations in their time. For example, this year winter also, we had a lot of winter rains. So uh, non-seasonal uh, occurrences. Then we have started seeing the, the more cyclones on the West Coast, these kind of challenges are there. But beside this, uh, another emphasis that this report has brought, very important one, in looking, looking to ecosystems and, uh, and also this, the societal dimensions. And when I, uh, when I look at these both ecosystem aspects and societal dimension, I see that uh, the two-way relationship. When the society and the people uh, of the society, they are under pressure in turn for their existence, uh, for, for their livelihood and other things, they start exerting more pressure on ecosystems. And on the other hand, when ecosystems are depleting, then they, uh, they, they uh, contribute to additional layers of vulnerability to society. And that we have uh, started witnessing the increasing, increasing uh, the, the migration uh, from the, the climatically affected disaster prone areas uh, to cities. And that we have witnessed uh, in COVID period. And in the COVID period, actually, we realized that how, uh, what is the, the, the huge number of uh, migrant population from our disaster affected areas now uh, taking shelter in our cities. Uh, currently, uh, in India, uh, we are also uh, working for developing the vision 2047. That is 100 years of Indian India's uh, independence. And uh, as we we have this Ajadi Ka Amrit Mahotso. So on one hand, we have uh, good cause, good thought process that uh, we are developing and we are developing in a good way. We are trying to uh, look at that. How do we address the basic needs of the people? And in fact, that, that is a big dichotomy because on one hand, a large number of people in our country still do not have uh, drinking water, uh, access to drinking water and many other things, uh, even uh, the, the toilet uh, facility. Uh, and uh, for, for this, we will need, along with the infrastructure, we will need uh, the, the good amount of quality water also. But on the other hand, if we look at uh, the, 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 the Central Groundwater Board uh, data, we find that the critical zone is expanding. So on one hand, we want more and more water. On the other hand, we do not have water. And even if the water is there, the quality is not fit for use. So, so we, we have to uh, basically operate in a situation of dichotomy. And at, uh, now hardly uh, seven years are more than a little more than seven years are left uh, uh, and we, we, we plan to achieve our, uh, the sustainable development goals also, uh, Sendai uh, framework targets also, as well as the, the whatever we uh, discuss and then reiterated re in Glasgow. So I think that the, the challenge is very big, but how do we really bring a smaller ground change? That is, that is the issue. So what I would, uh, uh, and there are certain insights also that instead of looking at only uh, translating or copying 
the approaches i think we will we will have to uh, to move ahead little more uh, in terms of uh, innovations and contextualization of the approaches available for addressing climate risk for example the green buildings uh, many of the green buildings you witness uh, even uh, we 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 find that now so many green buildings so called green buildings as per the standards uh, in the part of southern india also how can we have the the almost similar models or similar designs of green buildings which we have uh, uh, we have learned and we have seen uh, in the in in the in maybe in berlin or in london or in other colder uh, cities or the colder countries and then uh, we we start implemented uh, implementing in hyderabad vijayawada uh, chennai and so and that that in fact poses additional energy uh, uh, requirement for cooling because more than half of the year this is a very dry and very hot area so basically uh, these kind of standards and models also need contextualization and currently the government is also emphasizing that we start looking at the local solutions local solutions in terms of knowledge uh, also blending the traditional wisdom and also locally available materials also in fact uh, in the in the in the reconstruction project of uttarakhand disaster 2013 there were good pilots of using locally available materials and that actually helped reduce the the, the carbon uh, footprint uh that that was otherwise required because of the transportation of material from the outside so i think these are the things we we a few examples i am just referring second thing the, the one of the very big issue most of our cities and in fact professor rakhunandan also referred to he referred to air pollution also most of our cities are uh, are struggling with the waste management issue even ncr delhi also delhi also we find and then there are there are conflict between the municipal bodies and the civil administration or the general administration uh, over money over resources over wages salaries and so many things i think uh, uh, i think it is already too late to work out the zero waste uh, approach and i think this this should be one of the one of the prime uh, uh, prime concern of our revisiting city administration and city planning because if we continue the conventional waste management strategy we will be just uh, the, the, the allowing actual the real resources and then spending money money unnecessary in the waste management and waste disposal so basically we have to we have to not only evolve ratherly rather we have to very fast revolve the entire strategy and that is very important in terms of water also urban water one of the biggest challenge many of the cities are now people are considering as ghost cities just because of water when water is not there they, so so uh, the the kind of challenge that uh, that we can see chennai 2015 it was flood 2016 and 17 it was drought so now you see that urban water management i think it's very big issue and but uh, it is not that we do not have good example the the city of marshall in uh, in, in france and many other cities in the world uh, and see the kind of irrigation practices uh, uh, in in uh, some of the countries that even a single drop is not given over and above the threshold that the, the amount of water that is required for a particular crop now i am referring to 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 agricultural water requirement in the context of cities also because now cities uh, have a new type of land use 
that is urban agriculture and if you look at uh, other cities of the world also for example london uh, more than uh, 70% of the the, the 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 fruits and other things and the, the vegetables uh, uh, supplied uh, to the city of london come from the urban urban uh, agriculture itself so the, this this is very fast expanding in our country also so i think the new land uses uh, uh, and these issues also uh, need to be need to be looked into uh, with uh, significance peri urban system also dr raghunandan uh, referred to but i think tikander ji is a is a kind of a always uh, whistle blower and uh, always takes lead in this discussion but tikander ji you would uh, agree that past 15 years we are talking that uh, they, they, we should have some kind of uh, mechanism that uh, to to address the peri urban issues but all these uh, still remain in uh, the reports of the pilot projects are uh, some or other way uh, academic discussions are the, the policy discourses so i think a new model of uh, urban urban uh, planning has to be there but certainly not bound in a very tight framed manual that is also very important because the model for gurgaon cannot work for more, uh, the, as a, as a, as a uh, as a replicable model for noida so i think and recently i have been working and currently also i am working and very shortly i'll be able, able to share with you a new approach that that i am trying to work out a framework uh, concept planning framework concept looking at the integrated uh, mechanisms because covid has taught us that uh, something that we have been ignoring the health issues and particularly health issues in cities and then peri urban issues are more more even uh, uh, serious then coming towards the, the the final points of my deliberation today uh now when we look at uh, in the background of climate change implications the 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 uh the modifications or improvements in city planning i think two important things we cannot forget and those are in fact very very serious and very very emergent issues uh and that comes from this uh, before two years i think before 20 uh, if we if we see uh, if we saw a electric vehicle plying on the road we used to stand and see as if something new but now on delhi in the roads of delhi even you see all kind of electric vehicles plying very frequently so within two years we have started seeing a great transformation covid has uh, also brought transformation in our working culture in our social life also uh, we we are more electronically driven concentrated in our uh, computer mobiles and all so uh, so and all the management uh, of various amenities and services in cities also even the, the supply of uh, the the all shopping e shopping e merchants all kind of things so even cities are evolving into new e cities so the future cities are not going to be the normal cities within few years the cities are going to be purely e cities and second thing uh, like in technology two disruptive change one is robotics that we are going to see and we have already started seeing robotics they 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 very popular applications of robotics so how do we see uh, the the new uh, new new uh, the, uh, backgrounds and new context of city resilience when we have the new technologies approaching each and every sphere of city governance city management 
but besides this the social uh, reformation that is also very important because we are also witnessing very fast the new type of urban society uh, now people are more concentrated in their gadgets rather than talking to each other or talking to neighbor so how in those times uh, we are going to uh, look at the complex scenarios of risk and also uh, addressing that so uh, these are few points from my side uh, that i think we should we should come up with uh, some kind of pilot exercises to revisit different tire, the planning approaches for different tier of city because again uh, a, 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 a 10000 population or 1 lakh population then different different layers of cities will have to see uh, different different aspects coming uh, into into context and uh, uh, this is this is i think an emergent issue that we should not delay it and we should start coming up with some kind of pilots and uh, i am sure that uh, we will have to work together and we will have to rope in with some of the municipalities uh, to 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 uh, test these kind of uh, uh, pilots for improving the planning process so thank you very much for inviting for my uh, some of the thoughts Uh, in the background of uh, this latest report, and uh, I think uh, uh, now all the reports are bringing almost same kind of things. Only the intensity and seriousness of the 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 the, the extremes that is always over uh, emphasized, and that is the reality. So even if we do not wait for uh, the new report to come, uh, we have to be really very very serious. And the last point that the climate. Uh, uh change does not precipitate disaster actually climate change coupled with even more the non climatic actors in development so basically how do we manage those non climatic actors along with r2 to address this climate risk is equally important so thank you very much for inviting me for this talk thank you thank you thank you professor gupta for your very enriching uh, intervention so uh, uh, tikender sir would you like to take from here well uh, dr simi if you want to raise a few questions or should i and then because i uh, i thought there there aren't any questions in the qa box yeah and if so, there is there, there are a few in the on on the facebook link so hmm. probably someone has to help us out uh, uh, sure somebody. so uh, and should i or i i can i can make a few uh, few points okay. if you allow uh, yeah, yeah. i mean these are also general observations uh, drawn from dr raghu's and professor gupta's um, remarks so you know the recent report uh, as it is as uh, professor gupta was also mentioning it is one of the bleakest warning uh, as of now as yet of the devastating harm that can be uh, caused by unchecked global heating um, however what is at stake is that of a livable and a sustainable future for all, for all. which means uh, everything and as um, uh, the un secretary general has mentioned uh, delay is death so it is definitely a wake up call um, one thing that uh, i found in this kind of um, report is that earlier scientific studies had demonstrated that uh, the immediate climate change implications may not be as harsh for the global north primarily because of their location and uh, which which might favor them in terms of agricultural productivity uh, etc however what this report uh, clearly points out is that even this whole geographical region would not be spared uh, 
um, and as uh, it is, we are being we are um, continuously witnessing repeated frequent incidents of um, increasing deaths uh, and also physical and mental uh, illnesses due to increasing extremes in weather like storms, uh, wildfires, etc. And uh, apart from this, definitely the low-lying areas and tropical regions, they are, they are already suffering. And as far as uh, uh, India's urban spaces are concerned, uh, they might uh, risk the opportunity of uh, being called the engines of growth. The, perhaps this, might, this process might just be reversed. So uh, from, from uh, rising temperatures to erratic rainfalls, uh, groundwater security, uh, ground, uh, availability of groundwater, um, rise in coastal flooding, uh, population concentration in some areas, uh, which, which might be accentuated because of desperate attempts uh, of the people to save their lives, because it would be each one to oneself. Um, and, and also food and nutrition security. And then one can imagine the whole process of uh, implications on public health, implications on the health of the vulnerable sections of the population, um, etc. So uh, all this would actually eventually lead to higher, um, higher expectations from the governments to do more, to intervene to urgently intervene. So hence, what I see in this report is that it is a wake up call for the for the governments, for the policymakers, if they want to save the social order. Um, I mean, if they do not want to see the, the a breakdown of the social order right in front of their eyes. And I would like to respectfully disagree with the, what Dr. Raghu said on the uh, on the government's lack of uh, uh, finances and also lack of uh, scientific capacities i think if uh, properly channelized they they can definitely uh, mitigate this this lack if there is any but according to me there is a clear lack of intent the governmental intent is missing um, and that is why we have reached to this position as uh, uh, as we are now. So um, these these were my uh, uh, understanding. And I would just end with two questions, one for uh, Professor uh, Gupta and also one for Professor uh, Raghu. Um, Dr. Raghu, uh, I would like to know what are the SDG implications, sustainable development goal implications amid this code red for humanity? Uh, uh, because um, uh, because the the challenges of um, different locations, different regions, mountainous regions, coastal regions, uh, and all, of course the wider geography of India as a whole. These are the the implications would be different. So, um, what what could be what lessons could be drawn out of it? And uh, to Professor Gupta, you just mentioned in clear passing. Uh, towards the end about climate change and disaster i would i believe that ipcc report evidences an impending disaster so my question is because you are a disaster drr expert should the discourse now shift from climate change adaptation and mitigation to the wider narrative of approaching the phenomenon uh, under the disaster management uh, understanding what are your thoughts on this sir? So thank you so much, and I would like to hand it over to Tikhanandar sir. Thank you, Dr. Simi, uh, and uh, uh, it was really uh, interesting. And of course, Professor Raghu uh, will definitely respond to 
one of your yeah. disagreements. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll do both. Uh, uh, yeah, so, I'll do but, both. but I also have a question, Dr. Abu. So you just wait okay. for us. Sure, sure. So, uh, in fact, two questions: one to Dr. Raghu and another one to Professor Gupta. Uh, why? Uh, because you focused on uh, adaptation strategies. I mean, you, you said you no know, mitigation shouldn't be the way forward. Whereas some of the scientists, I mean, who are quite progressive in India, are also saying that look, we uh, we also contribute a lot. I mean, uh, maybe per capita we are too low, but you know, our contribution is also huge. So it's high time that we should invest some 1.5% of the GDP on uh, clean energy. Uh, you know, one of the way forwards, I, I'm, I'm sure you've heard about that argument. So how do you take it? I mean, why is it that not very relevant now or very imminent yeah. as of now? So that's the first thing. The second thing, Dr. Raghu, I think this is an observation that come from a mountain man. I mean, you know, because I've seen this transformation taking place and some kind of nexus that we do not talk about. I'll just cite one example, okay? But that example comes from the 1980s when we nationalized our forests. So before that, in my state, that's Himachal Pradesh, and for that matter, I think even Uttarakhand, we used to get timber, I mean, this was called timber distribution rights. So every year, a household used to get two trees for meeting their, uh, you know, house making, uh, I mean, constructing houses and all. But after the nationalization of forests, everything was just cut by a slash. And just to remind you that this forest policy came under the ages of the World Bank, which said, oh, don't cut forests and all. Now, in the same hills, you'll find timber coming from somewhere else, whereas our scientists, our mountain scientists are pointing out, hey, it's, I mean, there's a science of the mountain called, uh, of the forest called silviculture. We should chop down some of the trees. And in fact, it is more climate resilient instead of getting concrete, in, instead of getting RCC structures and, you know, having heat island effects. So how do you respond to such a situation? I mean, it's just an example that I, 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 I share with you. Lots of timber, lots of teak, Burmese teak, you know, and Chinese teak is entering. We do not allow our own teak. I mean, you know, we could have easily managed that. That's, that's you. To Professor Gupta, I think the least that we can do, I mean, I mean, if we could just really move forward, because, you know, I was one of the first in the country to prepare a city disaster atlas. And that's why I was called in Vigyan Bhavar and we explained, I mean, how uh, pitiful the condition of uh, the town governments is. If, forget about, you know, if we are even able to prepare the DRR plans of these cities, there is no comprehensive plan, there is no uh, measurement of the vulnerability, hardly any HVRA. So even if that could be done, you know, and then that integration could further, I mean, we could just build layers. I think that would be phenomenal. Uh, and But that has to be integrated to the whole process of town planning, town building, unlike what we are witnessing in the Delhi Development Authority uh, Plan 2041, the Delhi Master Plan. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a rail track, which, which is going parallel. So I think that would be like uh, really uh, uh, phenomenal work if we could just work on that. That's all, two questions. And I think there are two okay. questions also in the box, which probably someone will lead. But I would suggest first you respond, uh, Dr. Raghu, to the questions raised by Simi and yeah. me, and then probably later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just like uh, Simi to repeat her second question. The first one I got on financial capacity, etc. What was her second question to me? Uh, so about the SDS, about the implications on uh, the attainment, timely attainment of sustainable development ah, goals. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Fine. 
Okay. Uh, so very briefly on your first question about uh, SNT capability, uh, etc., and you felt that uh, I had said we seem to have a deficit in capability, and but you felt it was not the capability which was the problem; it was the intent uh, which is the problem. Let me clarify first what I said. My point was about the relative capability of state governments vis-a-vis -vis the central government with regard to uh, climate assessment, response actions, uh, etc. Let me give you a small example, uh, even of the central of the union government uh, on this. If you take uh, union government and its multiple agencies dealing with climate change, uh, I think you could count on two hands the number of climate experts who are inside uh, government. Maybe today I can say up to 100. You'll have more expertise in institutions like uh, Dr. Gupta's, in a few um, uh, uh, academic institutions, and in think tanks. I remember once we had a visit from uh, the head of the climate change section in the uh, government of China. And uh, we asked him, how many people do you have in the government, not in academia, etc., who are working full-time on climate change? You'd be surprised at the number of people he mentioned was 5,000. So I think you would understand my uh, feeling if I say we are under capacity. And if this the case in the union government, I think you could understand what it is like with state governments uh, also who are extremely short in terms of human resources, expertise, especially in specialist uh, departments. So that was my uh, point there. And I still feel I'm right that capacity is a major constraint. And we saw that manifesting itself when state governments were asked to prepare state action plans on climate change and the amount of difficulties they had in being able to prepare those SAPCCs. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think the issue of capacity is to be addressed and there's no harm in addressing the capacity knowing that uh, one has shortfall uh, in that area. As far as is concerned, uh, this entire sixth assessment report constantly talks about the need to evaluate every adaptation action that we take vis-a-vis -vis the SDGs. Uh, that unless we do that, we are not able to bring in the aspect of social justice or address vulnerability. So therefore, we need to address that. Do we? That's the question. We have the sustainable development goals on the one hand, we are constantly evaluating in government how much have we achieved social development goals, etc. But what this report is saying is, while we address adaptation issues, climate impact issues, we should simultaneously have the social development goals also in mind so that these programs are dovetailed. And I think that's the important point being made, and I appreciate that uh, point. I think we need to do this because, as you know, in India, 
government works in silos. Maybe that is true of all governments. But in India, we specialize in working in silos. So I work in my department, you work in your department. And if there is an interdepartmental meeting called once in six months, then maybe you and I will have a conversation. Otherwise, we don't know. So it is good if interdisciplinary thinking and interprogrammatic thinking is built into climate response and adaptation uh, programs. Uh, for example, food security, nutrition, health, hunger. Do we look at these aspects when we look at climate change? Do we look at these aspects when you think of sea level uh, rise? Do we look at this when we think of urban flooding? I doubt it. And therefore, the need to integrate this is, I think, important. It's been stressed repeatedly in this report, and I think we need to do that. The two questions Tikender uh, asked, uh, I absolutely agree with him about mitigation. I certainly think we should be doing more. I'm one of those people who have uh, always felt that India is doing in mitigation today the offer which we first made in Copenhagen. Till then, it was a big no-no in India to talk about India contributing to mitigation. Oh, how can we do it? It's a developed country problem. They should contribute. We have got nothing to do with it. Common but differentiated responsibility. There's a Lakshman Rekha between these two. India should not be done. It would be interesting for you to know, by the way, that I think I published the first article in India to argue before Copenhagen that India should take on mitigation responsibilities. And I presented, started presenting this in seminars in Delhi. And I honestly was expecting people will throw stones at me. Anti-national, unpatriotic, this, that, and the other. I was surprised to find that I got a good reception. And people said, yeah, you have a point that India is not part of the problem, but there are good reasons why we should be part of the solution. And we can be. See, India is on the one hand talking of becoming a $5 trillion economy. We are fourth largest scientific manpower. We want a seat in the Security Council. We are the ninth largest industrial power in the world. At the same time, India cannot say, no, no, but we are a least developed country. We are like Burkina Faso. So like they are do not doing anything, we also should not be doing anything on mitigation. Clearly, we should be doing on uh, mitigation, and I think we have scope. That's why my argument was India should push the US and the European Union more. What will happen? They'll put pressure on you to do more. So what? I think we have enough elasticity in our NDC program. If now we are saying we will decrease by 33 to 35%, we can extend this to 40%. Chalo, I'll extend mine from 33 to 40% provided you intensify your cut from 60% to 80%. I think that will make a big difference to mitigation standards in the world. So I agree with that. My problem together was that while we are doing all this on mitigation, and we should be doing, we are doing nothing on adaptation. And that is to me a big worry because today the island of Maldives feels they will be drowned. Yeah, there are islands in the South Pacific which are already disappearing. 
in Tuvalu and Nauru, uh, etc. India is pretending that adaptation they are reading it like they are reading a novel. We have got on the mainland more than 2,000 kilometers of coastline. Cities are already losing, uh, we are losing coastal areas to sea level uh, erosion. In agriculture, you know, in your state, how the farmers are suffering because apples are not growing where they were growing 20 years ago. The apples have gone 1,500 feet above. They are not growing there. We have seen this since 15 years. How many other such changes are there in the climate scenario vis-a-vis -vis agriculture? We have seen this. We have seen our flooding in urban areas, but we don't know. We are pretending as if we are doing nothing. I'll give you a very brief example to illustrate this. The Maharashtra government last year after the floods announced an outlay of 450 crore to address the problem of urban flooding and claimed, and they were right, that we are the first state government to do so. You know, but can you imagine what is 450 crore? 10 kilometers of sewage line in Delhi costs me 450 crore. So what am I going to do with 450 crore to address the problem of urban flooding in a city the size of Mumbai? You know, so and if Mumbai is the only city which is doing this, you can imagine where we stand with regard to adaptation. So that is the point I was making. While we are addressing mitigation, fair enough, well done. Uh, we can possibly do more, but it's high time we addressed adaptation uh, also. The National Mission on Sustainable Agriculture has gone into deep freezer. Uh, other adaptation activities are just being, except for the disaster management activities, which is not seen from the point of view of climate, but from the point of view of cyclone array and protect our people, in which we have done well because of disaster management, preparedness, especially in Andhra and Odisha, where loss of life in the last few cyclones have been much less than they used to be uh, earlier. We can learn from that to do adaptation programs. Odisha government, I've learned, has started building mud banks along the coast to protect the coasts from sea level rise and from erosion. How long that mud banks are going to last, we don't know. But clearly, we need more uh, protective measures. Uh, that was uh, one point. Last point of yours on timber. I agree with you, scientific management of timber should allow uh, felling of trees. In fact, the forest department even today does felling of trees and they are selling felled trees in the market. But they have permission only to do that from the Supreme Court. Supreme Court has otherwise said no clear felling. So what they are doing is lopping and chopping and uh, uh, things like that. The problem today, Tikinder, is while I agree with you theoretically, Sweden is doing it, Germany is doing it, they are making money, they are allowing things to grow. Two big differences are in Germany, in Sweden, in the UK today, there is a process of rewilding taking place. The wild and forest areas in those countries are desolate. Nobody goes anywhere near them. Because they have a rural population, rural and forest combined population of between 3 to 8%. We have 50% rural population. Uh, we are fond of talking of urbanization, but 50% urbanization means 50% people are still in rural areas. 
that's one problem so there is still pressure on forest but even more if today supreme court relaxes its lobby that we had the forest department will not be able to exercise control so i think that if till such time as we get good control over this proper implementation of regulations do more social forestry to enable timber then i think the natural forests uh, we can leave alone for the time being theoretically you may be right but the way in india systems work i would not trust our forest department and the contractor lobby not to develop uh, nexus again and to start uh, deforestation already we have seen dense forest areas in our country have been declining and what we are classifying as we are growing in forest areas is actually outside the forest uh, which is there so i personally would not touch the forest areas for now thank you uh, i think uh, professor gupta has to respond to the questions because like i think maybe we'll take this discussion later on Yeah. why i was interested is also the kind of housing that we require you know housing in yeah, mountains require yeah. a different typology absolutely you have absolutely. to have timber you know so maybe, absolutely. yeah but but, but i absolutely. agree with you there's absolutely. no disagreement on i mean absolutely yeah. absolutely uh, so uh, i think professor gupta also has to respond and then i think uh, arjun uh, or doctor someone has to take the questions i mean because i can find i can do that questions. i can do that once professor gupta uh, i think gupta sir has responded i mean if briefly you could yeah. respond to the questions because we are already running i mean we thought we'll yeah, be i'll be, yeah, I'll ah, be very, yeah please go ahead please. yeah i'll be very brief and uh, as uh, the from the discourse also it is coming that uh, in the area of adaptation uh, now the focus uh, is less uh, and uh, uh, some focus in the area of disaster management is there see this is a reality uh, in the society and particularly Uh, when uh, when uh, the part of the society is still struggling with uh, basic issues also because i i in my deliberation also i referred the dichotomy uh, like uh, we have very good examples also but at at places we still have uh, challenges and issues uh, so uh, uh, there, there is a there is a line by uh, the the tulsi das bhay bin hoy na priti so basically uh, this is also very important to some kind of pressure so this thread so people uh, are concerned about the challenges of disasters because that relates with damages and losses and even uh, even the corporate world has also started realizing that uh, they they need to come forward they need to invest in disaster risk management so uh, the, the point uh, mr tikender that you made about the hrva of uh, cities uh, i i totally agree that as at present there are very very few examples where cities have came forward and developed disaster management plan but recently we undertook a very detailed study uh, jointly with some of our it partners four cities we have taken shrinagar in kashmir guwahati uh, then visakhapatnam and uh, uh, one more city that is jaipur four city and we have basically worked with closely with the city administration in coming up with a hrva scoreboard approach because again if we come up with this very very kind of scientific approach then 
uh, the, its replication would not be possible. So uh, uh, hopefully our report, and then we are also coming up with a step-by-step -step guidance to cities uh, for risk assessment and developing resilience. So a simpler tool and the, uh, developing a pocketbook also. Uh, I, I think it would be wonderful. We will be sharing with you uh, before we, uh, we, we publish it and uh, you, the insights from you would be uh, uh, also valued. Uh, so I'll talk to my team uh, to share with you. Uh, so maybe by by the month of April we'll be able to uh, share. So that initiative Thanks we have that. already that's taken. Important. That's very important. That's very important. Well taken. Uh, and uh, uh, see uh, what I see that uh, when uh, the India uh, the emphasis is on mitigation, probably we will also have to work on the models that uh, how mitigation actions can have adaptation benefits and vice versa. I think this is not uh, correct that we uh, we still continue uh, having a clear line. Are we trying to to draw a clear line between mitigation Absolutely. and DRR? And there are a lot of energy, lot of uh, the, the boundaries are very much blurred. Yeah. So even if we invest for geo waste uh, zero waste strategy for our cities, it has a lot of adaptation benefits also. Agroforestry is one example that has been discussed here also by by you. Agroforestry has both adaptation as well as mitigation benefits. So, so, so uh, I think uh, the fraternity which is working on adaptation, the fraternity which is working on mitigation, there is, I think there is also need to convergence within the fraternity. Uh, we, we should not be too tight compartmentalized that we say, no, no, we, we the, our emphasis in mitigation, our, ultimately we have to have all the three kind of interventions for short term, there we adapt to the extremes and then we have uh, the risk management strategies are the crisis management approach, then mitigation. So we develop some kind of resilience and then move towards sustainability. That how do we reverse to the possible extent the impact of climate change? So I think that is very important. And that is the reason I, I, I reflect, I, I refer to uh, uh, that we need a, a integrated uh, approach basically uh, for planning also. Now in cities, we cannot leave aside that the health is separate issue. Because uh, uh, some of the speak, uh, I think, uh, uh, Professor, you you mentioned about the, the departments are compartmentalized. I think that is a reality. But who will bring them together on the board? I think exactly. it is a collective responsibility. Because otherwise, they will continue like this. They will so we will have to work out a model that they do not have an excuse and they have to come 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 on a common platform. So when a common uh, or integrated planning framework is there, they will have to certainly come on that disaster management planning has uh, to some extent provided this platform because that is an integrated planning approach and there many of the department have to come on board so some 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 uh, success is there but it is a long way we have to go and uh, i think very uh, very very important points have been raised and i totally agree uh, agree to that thank you maybe uh, would you take it there yeah, yeah, Professor, yeah, Professor, please go ahead. No, I was saying that there are uh, there's one question in the chat box. There are actually three questions rolled into one addressed to me. Yeah. So yes. if you want, can I, I can read it please, now. Please, please, you... please. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah. So I'll answer that. Uh, appreciate the point uh, made by Dr. Gupta. In fact, if you once again, I'd request participants if they go through my slides, they, uh, and if you remember what I uh, presented, each of them talks about these multi-dimensional responses, which simultaneously address mitigation, adaptation, 
and this range of problems that you mentioned, the health, the developmental goals, the developmental pathways, uh, etc., uh, addressing SDGs and so on and so forth. That's the only way we can address these questions and not by looking at them. And in fact, the three questions which have been asked to me will also illustrate this, so I'll answer that. The questions basically is about the cooling action plan and about air conditioning. And <clears throat> what the questioner is saying is, <clears throat> the action plan on cooling essentially is talking about how to finance the uh, cooling, uh, how to make the cooling more efficient, uh, but is not uh, really addressing the issue of whether we need that much cooling or not, how to reduce the need for cooling. In fact, that's precisely the example I gave. We should start by talking about the, the air conditioning load in each of our homes. Unfortunately, there is no regulation which tells you how much load you should have on your house for air conditioning or there is no building code which tells you the design of the house, the materials of your house, so that you can reduce the air conditioning load. I'll give you a very brief example. In Germany, when they started introducing their uh, rules uh, on uh, reducing mitigation, uh, they had to address the problem of home heating. Because unlike us, they're a cool, cold country. So every house there has a oil uh, burning uh, furnace below where they burn the thing and generate uh, steam which circulates around the house and reduces the uh, heat. They did two things. They One, they said you should reduce the thermostat on that so that the heating extent is reduced. Okay, you may feel a little still cold, but wear a sweater. You don't have to heat your house so much that you can sit there wearing a t-shirt. You can do it so that you're dressed for winter, but you still feel cozy. Like that in India, in Japan, they've got a rule. In China, they have a rule. If you're in offices, the thermostat should be set at 25 degrees Celsius. You climb into any Rajdhani or Shatabdi train and you will see temperature is set at 19 Celsius. Uh, in India, because Logonko in India, Maza Ata Ki Garmi me itna AC Tanda Karo ki Kambalko Oda Padja. Tab AC ka Maza Ata, we enjoy it. You know, then we feel, yeah, ab enough Ada with AC ka. After all, I struggled so long to earn enough money to have an AC in my house. I should feel ki merpas AC hai to Ratko Razai Orke Sona Chi. Tab Maza Ega Garmi ke Mosam. We should change these practices. And also, we build houses using glass in the front. You go to Gurgaon, all the high-rises are made with glass fronts, which bring in all the heat, then increase the need for you to have ACs. It's a simple thing using hollow bricks, insulating uh, bricks, reflective paints on the walls. We can reduce our heating, uh, cooling load inside our houses by 15% to 20%. It's not going to cost that much, even if it costs that much, somebody who is buying a flat for 50 lakhs can afford to pay 55 lakhs. Doesn't make that much difference to his EMI uh, to do that. That will reduce the cooling load. 
in Delhi last year, peak power consumption was 6,700 megawatts, out of which 50% went into air conditioning alone. So definitely there is enormous scope to reduce the amount of cooling load through a variety of means and uh, regulations that should be done, which will address the heat island issue. Less energy will also mean less emissions. It will address the mitigation issue also, and it will impinge on uh, SDGs by reducing inequality. If in Delhi, I am consuming so much energy uh, that is being produced, some of that energy, if it could be spared and go to my poorer friends in the slum colonies in Delhi, or rural areas where they'll be able to use more electricity if I can sacrifice. Just like we are telling our developed country friends, you reduce your power consumption so that poorer countries like India can increase theirs. The same applies inside India. Richer parts of our country in the urban areas should reduce their energy consumption so that our poorer friends in the rural and urban areas can increase theirs and we reach a minimum. So once again, an integrated approach to require less cooling and therefore reducing the load on that and therefore reducing the amount of power you generate is the way to go. Okay, great, thank you. So uh, I think Professor Gupta, there's a question addressed to you also in the chat box. Do you want that to be read to you or will you just go um, ahead? I think Professor Gupta had to leave because yeah. uh, he's at NIT campus and ah, okay. uh, the director. So, yeah, so, so let Arjun uh, take the final word. Or, or you, 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 you do that, Dr. Seema. No issues. Uh, Dr. Arjun, would you like to come in? Who, me? Oh, no, yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean. Sir, would uh, you like to conclude, Tikender sir? Uh, Raghu sir, yes, please. Let Professor Raghu conclude the final words and then, mm. and then, then no, no, I, I don't want to say anything. I just thought I'll just take up since that question has been raised. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Gupta talked about the climate change and the non climatic uh, actors. Frankly, today, I mean, honestly, if you ask me, there are few, very few non-climatic actors. All actors who are working in our society and the economy are in one way or the other influencing the climate. Uh, the only non-climatic actors I can think of are indigenous people and tribal people uh, who don't own vehicles, uh, uh, who don't burn LPG in their house, don't use electricity in their house, don't have a scooter or tractor or anything, you can possibly classify them as non-climate uh, actors. Otherwise, frankly speaking, I think every section of society is a stakeholder in this process and we should be all working together. Final words, Arjun or Dr. Simi, uh, anyone? Final words, yours, sir. If you would want well, to. I, I think it's been a very fruitful discussion. Uh, uh, am I audible? Because I removed my yes, microphone. Yes. Okay. No, no, you're audible. So I think it's been a very fruitful discussion. And uh, I really thank uh, Dr. Raghunandan for sparing his time. And also Professor Gupta. And we were able to catch Professor Gupta mm. uh, 
out. I mean, he's, he's not in Delhi, but still Professor Anil Gupta spent some time and uh, made some valuable contribution. Um, I think uh, uh, it's been uh, a very interesting discussion and uh, 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 especially uh, for our um, for our participants who actually uh, have uh, been listening uh, more about city planning, city development, you know, under this uh, uh, series that we run, hashtag local governance, and you know how all these are uh, quite interrelated, and we can, we can't just uh, uh, see them in silos. So, uh, Dr. Raghunandan, let me just allow to make uh, uh, a, a, a remark. I mean, I and mean, you know, uh, though I am not a Gandhian by by philosophy, but there's a very uh, interesting Gandhian proverb that I I would like to share here, and which I would love. I mean, which I, which I do follow in my life. And, and I think what you preach, you should practice. And <laughs> so that may sound too little, I mean, not to belittle this, this proverb, but I think this is important for us. So I just give these examples. I mean, just imagine your uh, prime minister, instead of that Macbeth uh, uh, walking to the office or you know taking a bicycle or, or the Delhi chief minister using the bicycle. And I remember one of our former chief ministers Mr. Dumal, who was the chief minister of Himachal Pradesh, he had introduced the scheme that no vehicles on Monday. Okay, so you'll go to the office. The chief minister was walking to the office. The chief secretary, everyone. So now I think that that may sound too trivial, but I think that behavioral change must happen from uh, from the places where we govern. Uh, else, I, I I think I mean, of course, and and then we require the kind of uh, interventions that we have spoken about. But I think that is also important. So preach and practice must go hand in hand. And thank you so much, uh, uh, Dr. Raghu. And like you rightly said, I mean, I mean, you know, uh, the, the the air condition example is is really interesting. Uh, uh, and and it, and it's apparently true. Not even 19, 18 degrees. But I mean, in, in offices you'll find the temperature of the air condition not more than 18 degrees. I think. I mean, this is not a sustainable way. I think we have to find. Uh, uh, Better solutions and a better sustainable way ahead for uh, for for better livelihoods and for a better secure future because it's an existential crisis we are already feeling. Thank you so much, Dr. Raghu. Thank you, Dr. Gupta. Thank you, Dr. Simi, for being the. Thank uh, you, sir. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'll just you I'll so just much. conclude with the formal yeah. vote of thanks. Yeah, uh, please, very quickly. Thank you so much uh, uh, on behalf of the Impre Center for Habitat Urban and regional studies. I would like to take this opportunity to thank our uh, wonderful panelists uh, who really uh, provided intellectual insights according to their experience and their expertise uh, on, um, on the implications of the sixth IPC. CC sixth assessment report implications for urbanization. It has truly been very, very enriching. And uh, I would like to thank Dr. D. Raghunandan and Professor Anil Gupta for sparing their valuable time and sharing with us your uh, in insights. Uh, our moderator for the session and also of the series, hashtag local governance, uh, Tikender, sir, thank you so much. We are so grateful that you took this um, 
initiative uh, uh, in in having this uh, very important discussion i think discussions like this on this on this report uh, should continue and um, thank you so much and i would also like to thank all our attendees here on zoom and also on facebook live and also to those who who will be watching us later on youtube and listening to the program on our different podcast platforms thank you so much and i wish you all a very very good night and please stay safe thank you thank you sir good thank night. you Good night. Good night. Bye. Good night.